Welcome to this week's episode of Being Human. Delighted to say I'm here with Josephine Campbell. She is a, an executive coach, a leadership expert, and a one-time teenage jiu-jitsu champion, and, which is of great interest to me given that I recently took up uh, jiu-jitsu, uh, and that has provided inspiration for her book, which we'll get into, called The Power Barometer, uh, which I've taken a read of, packed with insight. And I've always been fascinated with this idea of managing our energy, not, her, not our time. Uh, and so for somebody to have written a book on that, that theme, uh, I was very excited about and, and uh, glad to have had the chance to read it as I uh, prepared for this conversation. So, uh, Josephine, a warm welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Great. Okay, thank you. So let's fill people in. For people who are not familiar with you and your work, uh, can you give us your backstory? Go as far back as you like. Um, uh, yeah, and tell us how you came to be writing about power barometers. Okay. Okay, I'll be happy to. So, um, yeah, as you said, I'm an executive coach. I work with leaders, mainly from multinational corporations. And throughout my practice, I found that one thing that is a constraint for most professional people today, it's lack of time. And but then on top of that, it's uh, energy, personal energy. And I used to teach um, at university business topics such as strategy and organization and leadership and communication and so on. And I, I, I enjoy reading and I, I found that there was this aspect of leadership that was completely ignored. In, in almost all of the leadership literature, you are taught the ideal way of behavior. And then people have their performance reviews and they get the same feedback over and over again, right? It's really, and then you say, oh, it's because it's so difficult to change, but I don't think that's just it. Very often people are really trying to change and they really want to do it, but there are these moments and often you're unaware when this is happening. So this is why it's so tricky. So there are these moments where you lose your ability to have self-awareness, you lose your ability to have empathy, you think you think clearly, but actually you don't. Because what have happened is that you've somehow felt like you were under pressure or you were feeling threatened on a primal level, even though you, you might not say, oh, I was scared, but at a primal level, you were feeling threatened to be exposed or be excluded from the group or losing um, your sense of autonomy or, or, or some other or unfairness. You can be afraid of unfairness happening to someone else or yourself. And then it kind of, something in the brain changes. So instead of you being calm and using all of your neurological functions, the brain says, I'm gonna survive this. And it activates the amygdala where the fight flight response is. And then you behave unconsciously. You react rather than act. And in today's work life where we have so much pressure, so much time pressure, so many things we have to do. A lot of the people I work with in, in practice, they have more than one job, right? More than what used to be three jobs is now one job. And um, it, it happens all the time. This is something, I call it to be hijacked, mentally hijacked. It happens all the time and it's draining people's energy. And so, you know, in my work, I, I really just want to help. I want to help other people to do better and excel and fulfill their potential and do with their life what, how they, whatever they want to do. And um, I found that one thing was this unawareness of what really happens inside ourselves that also puts us in a position where we cannot do what we were taught to do in leadership. We were taught, so this is the behavior, this is how you should do, da, 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 but then you're in the moment and it's not happening. And the other thing is that it's draining and, and the, it, it becomes like a negative spiral. It's, it's draining you from your personal energy if you're in this situation too much. And, and then some people, they get sick from severe stress. That's kind of the worst um, outcome of this. But very often it's just that 
the energy is drained in a department or in a meeting. It can be momentarily, like you all know the feeling of being, walking out of a meeting, feeling completely drained, right? And those meetings, they are rarely very productive. Conflicts, errors, misunderstandings arise more easily when there's not energy in the room. So I thought, oh my God, this is somehow so simple, but it's overlooked. And then on top of that, I learned that most managers, project managers, managers, any type of people who lead people or projects, they have consciously or unconsciously been trained to think within three factors, time, quality, and money. So when you have to make a decision or prioritize, automatically, and especially when you're under pressure, you think about time, money, and quality. It's on the backbone of most leaders. And then you forget energy. You forget your own energy. And very often, a lot of leaders will put themselves at least, you know, will put more attention to other people than they put to themselves. Because a lot of people are actually, a lot of leaders are actually in service and not just there to promote themselves. Um, and, and they will, but they will also forget the factor of the energy of the people who report to them. And then little by little, the project, the department, the people, the company, the organization becomes drained from personal energy. Um, I, rem I remember, and that's, I, I gave a, a speak at a conference where we had a lot of agile chapter leads. And the reflection I got from some of them were like, oh, oh, now we understand. We cannot run one sprint after the other. We need to do some breaks in between. I was like, yeah, that's exactly what you Oh, now I understand why these, this and this colleague got sick and had to go on stress sick leave. Because we actually have stress sick leaves um, here in Copenhagen, in, in Denmark, where I, where I live and work. Yeah, so I, it's... It's, it's a very predominant uh, factor. And yeah, you asked, how did I come to write about it? Yeah, like and, a bit of your backstory, you know. Yeah, <laughs> missed out on part because, you know, how did I come up with this whole perspective of energy? I, I found out that in sessions, working with leaders, individuals and groups, one uh, approach that made a huge impression and impact on the people that I work with was when I used some of the tools that I have from my practice as a jiu-jitsu champion. Mm -hmm. so, uh, yeah. So um, I was quadruple national champion in jiu-jitsu when I was a wow. teenager and had a brilliant sensei who would train us and who would um, develop our awareness of our body intelligence and our energy level. So we would mentally prepare before going into battle and we would also manage our energy level and our body awareness and, and our mind while fighting. And in Jiu-Jitsu, you have various type of championships. I was active in two of them. Uh, fighting, you know, like, in, in, have, you seen, have you watched the movie Karate Kid? Yeah, I yeah. So, so you remember at the end of the show, uh, of the movie, there's uh, a big fight, and you, they are everybody are in this um, gymnasium, and there are green tatami mats on the floor with red squares around them. So, to, so you fight within the red square, and and you then, then you fight like two times two minutes, and then the judge says, "Hush, man, you get you, you start fighting, and it's very intense." That's one type of um, of championships, and I was active in those, but. The one I would like to tell you about now, it's another type of championship. It's the one that I used as an example in my book, Power Parameter. And um, it's called Reaction Track. A reaction track has 10 to 12 posts. It's uh, somewhere in a desert area, very often in a forest. There's no lightning. And um, it takes you know, somewhere between one or two hours to walk the track. And there's a day track and there's a night track. And at the night track, you can't see anything in front of you because, you know, you're out there in the countryside in the outskirts in some forest. 
The only thing you can see uh, is, is flower on the ground. Because as part of the track, they put flower on the, on the ground, you flower lights in the dark. So you can see the flower and you, you just follow the flower. And, and then I would start to activate my other senses as my sensei taught me. So I would listen. Could I hear something happening around me? But you, you know, the other, the, the people who would attack us, they were really good. They were either from the military or they were other jujitsu people. So they were, they were quiet. It's not like they would be chit-chatting on the post. Right? They would give themselves away. But I would still listen. Can I hear something? Can I hear something? And as very often they would not give themselves away, I would start to sense, you know, kind of open my senses to sense if there were people around me. Do you know what I mean? Like, if, if you are in a dark room and you can't see anything, would you be able to sense if there's anybody in the dark room with you? Uh, I mean, I'd like to think so. I've never been in that situation, so maybe, maybe not. I've, ne I've never developed my senses in that way. Well, a lot of horror movies are built on that mm. concept, right? Have you watched a horror yeah. movie where somebody? Yeah, no, I, like I get, I get, I get the idea that that, that people can can sense, yeah, a presence, right? Yeah, and I think it's a human instinct, and that we all have the ability to access if we train it. So you said I have never trained it, but I believe you could. Yeah, no, I I, I believe, yeah, I, I'm sure. Yeah, and and I think that's also, mm, yeah. No, go on, yeah, I'd be confident that that that, that would be something I could train. Yeah, and the human brain, the human body haven't evolved so much over the last 10,000 years. And just going back 5,000 years ago, or even how, how some people live and survive today, you would use that ability to go out and get prey or to defend your tribe, right? You would walk together in the darkness and... I'm, I'm, I'm thinking it's probably even to the extent that you can feel the presence of your peers from your tribe. Right? So you can collaborate in the darkness without giving right. yourself away, without words. Right. Mm -hmm. and, and, you were, and when you were on these tracks at night, waiting for an assailant to, <laughs> to jump on you, you... Um, you found yourself being able to sense when they were near? Yeah, I did. Apparently, I did. The result speaks for themselves. Um, and there's another hatch to this. It's that not on every post you would get attacked. On some of the posts you would have to give first aid. So jiu-jitsu, as you know, because you've practiced jiu-jitsu, it's a, a martial art that has ethics. So we learn how to preserve life as well. So that would be part of it. And you, you, you know, if you're just all fired up and in what I call the red zone, where you're hijacked, you would probably beat at anything that comes your way, right? Because you're mm. like, oh, I'm gonna get attacked, I'm gonna get attacked, <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and then, and that's actually, I found out, that's what some of my opponents had done. They would have been beating the people at the post where they were supposed to save their life. Right, right. And that's also something that happens sometimes at work, right? You're in a meeting, you're supposed to help someone and save them. And then, then they get beaten instead yeah. because people are in the red zone. They're so fired up, feel like they're under pressure or low in energy. So stupid things like that happens too often at work. You, you, like I know you, you work as a coach as well. I was just about to say, you won't believe the examples I hear sometimes when I work, but you probably do. So, for example, you can have vice presidents in a multinational corporation, like a big, big company, and they will fight and, and, and have like a serious conflict over email. Mm, yeah, yeah. Right? Did you see that? You, you've probably experienced yeah, that too. Yeah, play mails. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's very prevalent, right? And yeah, yeah. I, I've seen email chains and I'm like, oh, what? Well, it's, you know, going on here. Yeah. So somebody probably been in the red zone here, or maybe both parties, right? Well, there's, right, and right now in the British press, there's an inquiry over the behavior of 
officials during the you know the pandemic and some of the some of the messages coming out are pretty wild. Yeah. So it's overlooking the factor of human energy and what happens inside us when we are leading and collaborating. It's just a huge blind spot in business, I think. Right. Yeah. And and it, and you had this insight that your ability to sense, and it sounds like not just the presence of people, but to some level, the intent of people, right? You were able to discern, is this a threat or is this somebody who needs my help? And, and, and your motivation was then, well, how, you know, how can I help others develop this awareness? Is, is that right? Yes. So one thing is sensing what is outside of you. I actually think that's like kind of an add-on. It's a plus. The main thing was to keep my self-awareness on what happens within myself mm. so that my energy level is sufficient to do what I got to do. Just like when you, when you, when you uh, work, when you have, you, when you, when you work life, you have to have enough energy to do what you got to do. If you don't have enough energy, you're not going to do your job well, right? Yeah. Especially not like coordination. It's a brain task that takes a lot of personal energy, you know, the brain uses 20% of your energy. It's a huge energy consumer. And that's also why people really tend to eat a lot of candy and then coffee in the afternoons when you low on energy, right? And then you get all these lifestyle problems. Anyway, so, so, so one thing is to have the awareness of your energy level, but also the awareness of whether I would become mentally hijacked. Because when you become mentally hijacked, you cannot think clearly. You think you can think clearly, but you cannot. And that's the moments where my opponents, they were beating up the people they were supposed to help. Right. They were mentally hijacked. They were feeling the pressure. And as a primal instinct, they were just trying to survive. They were just beating some people. They will not react by beating. They will react by saying, freezing, not saying anything, not doing anything. Or flighting, ignoring, mentally leaving the room. Right. You see that happens too often. And it's really interesting. Sometimes when I work with um, groups of leaders, like an executive team, we, we tend to work, uh, often we, we advise to that we work with the group and individually with the executives. And there's always one or two who have this habit of thinking of other things if they like mentally leave the room yeah. during the important discussions. Did you see yeah. that too? Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, that's very prevalent, right? Listening is absolutely core to leadership, being present and ability to listen and stay tuned in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like, I like that distinction you make. So you can be high energy, but if you're hijacked, as you say, you, you go and you describe it in a book as on like a narrow track, right? You've, you've, you become one-minded and you're not open and present and listening and, and curious and well, agile as you just yeah. describe it. In the book. Yeah. Yeah. So there are four dimensions because you have an X axis and a Y axis. It's a quadrant. Mm. And, and yes, you can be high in energy, but narrow. It's sometimes people would call it focused. No, I'm just focused. <laughs> but that's the moment when they don't listen and they don't see what's coming next. Yeah. And that's the level of threat is such that, yeah, you've, you've stayed, you've, you've, you've narrowed down. So it's a natural response, but it, is it going to serve you in a, in a business context, in a leadership? Yeah. And it, it doesn't have to be so extreme. It can also just be that you're, you want to do something and you present it and then someone else has a question or another perspective and you find it really annoying. Yeah, because you just you just want to do and talk about what you have in your mind. That's also yeah. a phase of the another phase of the narrow state of mind. Yeah, yeah, and and just that question at some level you're perceiving as a threat, even if it's hey, it's just a question. Yeah, yeah. No, feels like right. a roadblock. Right, right, and then there's the low energy energy states where if you're high, yeah, talk talk us through. Okay, so low energy when you're hijacked versus uh, you know, being ready, as you describe it. Yeah. So um, 
you can start thinking about the quadrant and you can also see that quadrant in my in my website if you want to go and see mm. on josephinecampbell.com if you want to see a picture um that quadrant it's under freebies by the way under uh, josephine campbell and then freebies so um the quadrant it has a red zone and has a green zone that is divided by the y-axis and in the red zone you have narrow that we just spoke about in the upper quadrant. And then in the lower quadrant, you have fragile. And that's where we don't want to be. And we don't want anybody to be there. It's where you're low on energy and you're mentally hijacked. So you don't think clear and you don't think clearly and you're not at your best self. And you're lowly, slowly by slowly, you're wearing yourself down. Um, you easily make more errors than you normally would. And then I work with a lot of brilliant people and say, I don't make errors. <laughs> and, so, and, and sometimes they will be more inclined to make an error when they're in the fragile state, but because they're so competent, they still don't make the errors. But then one day they crash, or one day they do make the error, if they go on like that, you know, if they live in that quadrant for years. Mm. Some people do that. That's how very resilient people get sick from stress, from living in the fragile quadrant for years. And you can easily do that today, you know, in today's work environment, you can easily do that, especially if people around you also are in the red zone all the time. It's contagious. You know, human beings are social animals, so we, we pick up on each other's vibes. And, but it can also just be momentarily that you're fragile. And, and if you really weren't down, and you had a tough day, and it was not a good day, and something unfair happened to you, it could be natural that you're fragile at the end of the day. And then you go to sleep, and if you have a good night's sleep, you're going to wake up feeling somehow different, right? Then you're out of the quadrant. Or it can be just like in one of those draining meetings. If yeah. you're very disencouraged, if your project just got shut down, or people didn't see all the hours you put in, or after performance reviews, we know that performance reviews the lower performance right the disengaged people so in those moments you can be feel fragile and it would be perfectly normal and then you gotta do something to fill up your energy to recharge your personal batteries get some energy so you can slide into the green zone right right and in the green zone again we have the upper quadrant and we have the lower quadrant and, and in the lower quadrant, you, you feel safe, you feel, you feel good, you're okay, but you're tired. I, I call it to be mellow. Mm. Yeah. And, 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 you know, mellow is not bad. You could also have called it tired, but I didn't want it to be negative. Yes. I like the word mellow. And I often say to people, so what are you going to do when you're tired? What are you going to do about it? So what would you do, Richard, if you were tired or mellow? Uh, yeah, it's a great. What do I? Well, what do I do? If I can, I nap. <laughs> if I've got yeah! the ability to well, nap. That's a good answer. Uh, what else could you do? Uh, well, uh, the other thing is, I'll, I'll check in my, with myself. Yeah, what do I need right now? What, what, what would serve me right now? Whatever comes, I as much as possible follow my intuition. Maybe it's go for a stretch. Maybe it's yeah. Maybe it is have a go, have a cup of coffee. Maybe it's go for a walk. Maybe who knows? But yeah, I'll, 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 I'll ask my, you know, ask myself, ask my body if you like. Very qualified answer, I would say. <laughs> yeah. You, you got to recharge your batteries when you're low on energy. Or if you can't, then you got to adjust your self-expectations and what you throw yourself into. So it's leveled with your energy level. That's a great point. And actually, I sometimes, and I've learned to get better of that over the years, is sometimes just accept, unknackered. I can't do, just give in, just like surrender to the exhaustion. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's, that's. Yeah. Like... yeah. And then we have the upper quadrant in the green zone. Agile. That's where we really want to be. And that's what my Zenzai trained me to be walking through the forest at the night track, at the reaction track. Put me in a state of mind of being agile, not just physically, but also mentally, before walking into the forest and then training me how to stay agile 
while walking in the forest, even though I had to walk long, even though I couldn't see anything because it was so dark, even though that I knew I would get attacked, to put my keep on like being very disciplined with my mind of where I kept my awareness. So that's why the matrix is called the awareness matrix, because it's all about awareness. Yeah. Are you aware of your body signals? Because the body will give you away before anything else. If you listen to your body, you will get to know your own little ticks and signals that is signaling to you, I'm just about to get hijacked. Hey, take some deep breath. Slow down your energy, like lower your tempo. Just take it easy. Be kind to yourself for a second or sharpen your attention. You know, the body is so smart, but if we don't listen to it, it can't help us. And it's just going to kill. And, and so for people listening to this, listen to my body. What are you saying? Like, that, that seems <laughs> a strange idea. Like, how, how, do, how do you train people to start listening to their body? So first of all, we have to let go of the perception of the head and the body being separate. A lot of people have that, that perception or that um, experience. They, for the, the way they experience life and being is head being separate from the body. And that's something you can slide into little by little easily if something is painful and you want to get away from the pain or you're tired and you don't want to acknowledge that you're tired, then you can just move your awareness to the head. And in most trainings and schools and jobs, we are being awarded for what we can do with our head, not listening to our body. So it's very easy to get into that state of mind. Have you heard that? Like a lot of people talk about head and body or mind and body as separate entities. Yeah, it's why I have, I have a beef with this term mental health. Every time I, I hear it, I'm, it grates me. I'm like, what a dumb thing, dumb way to think about our health, right? Yeah, because like, look, I have a neck. Yeah. So my head is actually unconnected on my body. It's, yeah. it's actually just one. Exactly. Yeah, but I understand exactly. why people can experience it differently. And it's also a stress reaction. Actually, people who are suffering from severe stress very often, almost always, will not really feel their body. Yeah. They might still do marathons, Yeah. but they will not feel the body. And um, so that's the first step. And then it's about being curious, you know, listening to what does my body tell me? Be curious about the different signals you have. There's some which a lot of people experience, such as breath becomes swallow and fast mm. when you are under pressure. That's definitely one that happens to me. Uh, sweaty palms. I can see on other people sometimes they will get red spots in the neck. Or the, the chief color of their face will change. But then there are like tons of other signals that are individual, that varies. For example, someone I worked with had this tingling in his hand and his arm. So in the beginning of the process, I did, I did a, like a one-on-one coaching session process with him for about a year. And in the beginning of the process, you have this tingling feeling. We didn't know what it was about. And and after a few sessions, he, we realized that he was actually suffering from stress. And no wonder, because he was traveling all over the world. And very often he would get into Heathrow late at night, walking through all these hallways with this light that doesn't help when you have to go to sleep, right? Right. So once yeah. he would get home, he would have a difficulty falling asleep because he's just been walking through Heathrow. Yeah, it's, it's really, it's huge, right? And, um, and, and he would travel a lot. He would be under a lot of pressure. He was a, he's, um, he's an entrepreneur at a startup. Um, he would be under all the pressure of funding. He was also managing the clients. He would, that was so much on him. So he was actually sick from stress. And um, we, we managed to find different hacks of starting and different processes in his body 
to change. So for example, sleep. We, we would hack it by, he found some biohacker glasses hmm. with this orange filter in them. So when he was walking through Heathrow, all this blue light wouldn't be so dominant in his experience. He would try to keep a little more focused on himself. Um, he would do some stretch out and breathing, breathing techniques before going to sleep. Um, so the breath is, is a really, really great tool to manage your body signals and your ability to listen to the body signals, but also yeah. to your energy level and to staying in the green zone, not getting mentally hijacked. Yeah, so we use that a lot. And a lot of people benefit from working with their breath. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and part of it is feeling the body. So once you start doing those exercises, a lot of them have body scans. Then you practice, how does it feel? And, and I, I always say to people, it's enough to be curious. Just, just curious about how does my shoulder actually feel right now? Yeah. And if you feel pain in the shoulder, hey, it's just pain. It was there before, but now you're aware that it's there. It might not be comfortable, but it's still there. And maybe by sitting and feeling the pain, the tension in the shoulder, it's going to change. Or at least you could give it a try, right? You could be a little yes. curious just to, just to explore what happens to the pain in my shoulder if I just observe it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I suppose the, the interesting thing here is to be curious is a green zone activity if you like so if i'm in the red zone how do i how do, how do i become curious right like how do you make enough of a space where you can be enough in that zone to you, you just see how do you make the transition i suppose it's, i'm curious about. okay yeah so there's a there's a distinction here because um there's a difference between if you live and breathe in the red zone for months or years then we have one situation and then there's another situation where you move in and out of the different zones throughout a day. That's the most normal. And that's yeah. probably where you and I are, because even though we are working with ourselves and very aware of our energy level and so on, we also move into the red zone sometimes. Yeah. So if you use that as an example, then it's about being curious about when are you in the red zone? What triggers you? Right. What body signals are there? What lowers your energy? What actually works when you, when you try to recharge your batteries, your personal batteries? And, you know, start growing some awareness about that, little by little. If you live and breathe in the red zone, if you are subject to severe stress, then it's a different um, story. And um, where I was trained in stress management, we were trained that would you would have to get people on sick leave. They would have to go home, just turn on Netflix and relax. And some people can do that, but not everybody. I work with a lot of executives who don't want to go on stress sick leaves or they can't. I work with business owners. If they go on stress sick leave, there's not going to be a business. And that's even more stressful for them, right? right? So then we do it little by little. Then we start by focusing on the personal energy. I have an exercise in the book, Empower Barometer, which I call the plus and minus list. It's very simple. And anyone can do it. You can, you can do it now if you like. You can take a piece of paper and you draw a line in the middle. And on one side you put a plus, on the other side you put, put a minus. And under the plus you write everything that gives you energy. And under the minus, you write things that take your energy. So you start growing that awareness of what takes my energy and what gives my energy, gives me energy. And then it's about managing it like a bank account, right? Mm. And of course, in coaching, we have um, that opportunity to, to challenge our coaches yeah. on, on if they put like, I get energy from achievement. A lot of leaders get energy from achievement, but then the different drivers for that. And, um, oh, I get energy from pushing projects, taking them to the other level. And that is fun. You can see I'm even like almost jumping as I talk about it yeah. because I also enjoy that. 
but then you know that's a little that's something in coaching we could have a few nuances on right you want to keep on pushing the project when you're completely drained is that something that gives you energy and right. then there are other times where it does right yeah so but what you could be in the plus and minus list can also be collaborating with certain people certain type of work task, certain type of meetings, uh, sports activities, rest, um, knitting. <laughs> some, some people like get energy from knitting. Um, meditation, well, it's, you know, being with your family, eating well. There's so many things you can put on those lists. And it, it's personal. That list is personal, right? And it's you as a person who is professional. So that's, I put a distinction between private and professional. Yeah. Those antitheses. It's all personal. You cannot leave your person aside. There's not a moment in your life where you're not a person. Yeah. And, and, and a personality. Yeah. Your personality is pretty much the same in all spheres of your life. Yeah. 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 Even though a lot of people like to believe differently. Yeah. You are who you are. And then you can tune up and down on different qualities of yourself in certain situation, depending on what it would be appropriate. But really, when you work with people day in and day out, they can feel who you are. And if you cheat and lie at work, you probably also cheat and lie sometimes in your private life. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. I, 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 I agree with that. And. Um... It's um, it's one of the interesting parts about coaching, right? Is that we, we often find ourselves uh, in that zone where we work on topics. I find I find myself often working on on themes in people's personal lives because I know if they get a breakthrough there, it's gonna it's gonna flow over to their business lives. Yeah. Because we're always dealing with just one one person. Very true. Very true. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, so this plus and minus, what gives you energy, what takes away your energy, and that having that curiosity, getting that awareness about yourself, um, presumably then enables you to to be more conscious about choosing activities that are more likely to have you in the green zone more of the time. Yeah, and consciously make some com commitments. You know, at least for one thing, make a commitment to okay, I'm I'm gonna go for those walks with my friend. I'm gonna ask him. Today, whether we can do a walk next week, or you know, like I'm okay. I'm gonna go to bed one hour earlier. Sleep is a big one. You know, very often it's a good place to start. Most people yeah. don't sleep enough, and it has a huge impact. Um, but you should make one commitment at a time. You know, don't 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 make don't put too much on your plate. One thing at yeah. a time, and then add on and on. Then we slowly build energy. So I've successfully walked managers through severe stress it's a long process but i'm so happy that you know i've seen several times that you can do it but it's not something you do on your own and it's not everybody who can do it right mm. that's interesting not everybody could do it you think there are some personality types who are just incapable of of finding a way out? Well, I think all people are equally worth, but people are not equal. We are not the same. Right? Some people are short, some people are tall. Some people have a high IQ, some people have a low IQ. It's just how it is. We are different. And some people have more self-discipline. Some people, and, and you know, I'm not saying that if you don't have a lot of self-discipline, that you can't get more self-discipline, then you can train it, right? But some people have, well, we have different genetics. So some people are physically stronger. Um, one of the leaders that I successfully walked through stress was also in a great shape before then because it was also somewhat uh, physically in a great shape. That person was actually doing too much sport. <laughs> we, had to, we had to slow it down a little bit on the sport while recuperating for, for, for that person to pick up the sport again afterwards. Mm. So, but that person's uh, body was a little worn down, but actually 
always pretty well kept, right? It's someone yeah. who already he eats healthy. Um, but it has very much to do with um, determination, courage, self-discipline. And now it's tricky because often with those quality comes control. So you got to overcome yourself and sometimes let go. It's not about losing control completely because, of course, you don't want to lose control completely when you're an executive. But it's about allowing yourself those little pockets of time where you actually do let go, where you actually do feel the stress, where you actually do feel all the emotions and feelings. Because without that, if you're so controlled that you don't do that, then you won't recuperate. Mm. You have to let go a little bit. So it's, yeah, it's true. I also think those people who I've successfully walked through these processes are very smart people. They're intelligent. Right. They're, on, they're honest with me in the relationship. It's a collaboration, right? So they're, they're being honest with me also about what goes on and they have the courage to face when they have not been able to do what they set up to do. You know, sometimes it's, you, 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 Sometimes you fail. You gotta have the courage to face that and then get back up on the horse and try. And it's a long journey, but it can happen. It can it can be done. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Um, well, that makes sense from my own experience with um, in your model, moving from a life which was almost always in the red zone, uh, somewhere <laughs> you know, somewhere between narrow and, and fragile. Into coming you know much more in the green zone and high energy but it, a lot of it was getting honest and for me it was with my addictions and that's where it started with me it wasn't so much stress for me it was but it was the same principle that yeah that bit of courage that enabled me to get honest with some of my behaviors was the start of the of the shift yeah it does take courage doesn't it yeah yeah just enough to to get honest right and to face face reality mm-hmm. uh, and then and then things start to smoke from there because then it's like okay well if this is my reality and i've accepted i've had just enough of courage to face that mm-hmm. then maybe the next question is well what could i do to change it right that's the next bit of courage and then it becomes right. self-reinforcing yeah um, yeah yeah interesting um we talked uh, before we came on air about this topic of trauma because you were asking me about the audience for the podcast. And I said, you mm-hmm. know, we, the, the, the episodes on trauma release have been you know, very popular. And mm-hmm. it's not in the book, but, you know, certainly from my own experience, my, my own trauma has played a big role in terms of when I get hijacked. And uh, I, so I was curious, uh, where do you see sort of trauma playing a, a role in, in what you're describing? Yeah, so I'll describe trauma as some kind of congestion. Like imagine you have some pipes and they're cluttered. So things can't flow or things keep on being stopped because of that trauma. So sometimes people struggle with changing behavior. They will get the same feedback over and over again and they will they will struggle with like taking over responsibility or being controlling or, you know, things which are, well, they know it, but they keep on failing to change it. It's like there's some bigger force driving them. And I found in my practice that quite often there's a trauma behind that. And talking about trauma, we have to uh, define what we mean about trauma to the audience, to the listeners, because trauma can sound so dramatic, but actually for a three-year-old, falling on your bicycle can create a trauma. Or for um, a teenager, people not really seeing you in the classroom when you speak up or getting you wrong can create a trauma. Yeah, it's, you know, when, when you're a teenager in school, you're very sensitive to experiences of how other people see you so you could have had the best parents in the world the most safe upbringing and then you're in that situation where the others just don't get you they don't even have to laugh at you but it can create some kind of 
belief about how you have to be in the world, you can make a decision in that moment that you forget. It becomes part of your reality. And it's a, I sometimes describe us human beings as a computer. Right? We have a hard drive, it has a steering system, and then you, have, you can put software on top. And in coaching, we can, we can add new tools, new software, little programs that we can put on top. But when we go deep, we can actually check, we can take out some of the box from the steering system. And that's what trauma is. Those underlying um, behaviors. And um, I'm, you know, I'm not a psychologist. I'm from business school. I used to be a business school professor. I used to be an entrepreneur. I used to be a leader myself. So it was not what I expected when I started doing this job as a coach. It was not what I expected what I would be doing. But because often I work with people who never worked with themselves before, and sometimes, quite often, we develop um, deep, open relationship where they share with me things that they discover about themselves. And we, we do this discovery on who they are as a human being and, and how, what effect it has on their ability to lead and collaborate and how we can take them to where they want to get. And then sometimes we, we get into stuff that we didn't anticipate. And, um, you know, I really want to help the people I work with in the best possible way. And um, once there was, um, it was early on in my, in my career, there was someone who suddenly, like 10 minutes to end of session, <laughs> opened up and discovered, oh my God, it's all about this issue from my childhood. And, um, and I was like, oh my God, it, the mother of that person had an abuse um, of substances. Okay. So that changed that person's behavior to take over responsibility. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's the, that person is the eldest of all siblings. I'll just say that this person has allowed me to share this example because my work yeah. is confidential. I was still shared yeah. anonymously, but this person has allowed me to, to share this example to serve others. And my next book, there's more about this person's story in my right. next book. Yeah, so we actually didn't really interview well. Anyway, so, so that person says, can you help me? Please help. I didn't even say, can you help me? He said, please help me. And I've been trained, so if you touch upon topics that I'm not trained in, where I don't feel comfortable, I don't feel like I have the right experience and tools, I should pass that on to another coach or a psychologist or whatever appropriate. But that's what not. That was not what that person was asking me. That person said, can you help me? And I said, I'd love to help you. We're going to make sure you get the help you need. I just need to speak to one of my supervisors. And I have brilliant supervisors. And I spoke not just to one. I spoke to three. And one of them said to me, hey, listen, Josephine, come on. I know how you work. I know how you are. I can train you in this. Let's get started. You should learn to do trauma release. And the concept was not unfamiliar to me because I'd already been doing a lot of trauma release on myself. Uh, and and I, I've um, experienced myself the impact of on it. So it could, you know, you can, you can trauma release little things and it will have a huge impact. Very often uh, those um, methods are used for very severe stuff. Which is good, but why not also use it for stuff which is not considered to be so severe, but it has huge impact on someone's leadership? You know, right? It, it, yeah, it prevents that pe person from letting go of control or letting other people take responsibility for themselves, right? Oh, I, I'm completely on the same page with you. I think um, it's a big gap in the kind of current coaching world that, that there tends to be this predominant view that coaches ought not go there. Um, yeah. But I'm, I'm fascinated, Josephine, so I definitely want to hear the story about what you did for this lady. But just for yeah. you personally, mm -hmm. um, or this person who had a trouble with their mother, I don't know if it's male or female, um, mm -hmm. 
what um yeah what 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 has been your experience with trauma release and you know and the benefit yeah so i started out and also with that person i did like a proper trauma release session where well the room where i do coaching is like a normal meeting room right <laughs> so so uh, i don't have like a couch or something right but in the room next to that was an internal meeting room in the in the office so it actually had a couch so I moved that session, next session to that other room and the person was laying down and we did like a proper trauma release session where with closed eyes and laying down and breathing and, you know, everything. And, but with time, it's, it, you know, doing sessions like that on a couch doesn't fit so well with how I work and my audience, my, 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 um, my coaches and like, it's more like businessy. Uh, so it would take a lot for me to ask people to sit in a more comfortable chair or lay down. And with time, those techniques have developed into, we can sit and talk about something and in 15 minutes, even sometimes with open eyes, we can do trauma release. Wow. Yeah. Just about, just when I guide people's awareness and when they follow and we go there and we explore what comes up, we always connect with the body. Talking about body intelligence. That's what you also mentioned, right? Like you listen mm -hmm. to your body. So we, we connect to the body signals. What is the body, like what signals are there? And what is behind that? And what memory is there? And then we reprogram that memory. We reprogram it. So we actually change that memory to whatever that person would prefer to really have happened. Right, right. And the mind doesn't know the difference. The mm. mind doesn't know the difference. Once we do that reprogramming, it's like we reprogram the steering system of the human computer. It's really powerful. It's, you know, I sometimes say, okay, so let's say someone is there in the situation all alone. And I say, so who would you, the person say, oh, I'd like someone to come. Okay, who would you like to come? It can be anyone from Mickey Mouse to your deceased grandfather to your best friend, like who would you like to come? You can even put in Mickey Mouse. And if Mickey Mouse is who's gonna make you feel comfort and, and make you feel complete and safe in that moment, it's gonna do the job. Then Mickey Mouse is gonna do the job. The brain is just, it's, it's amazing what we actually can do. Human beings are amazing. It's just, I'm fascinated with people. It's, and it's incredible that, those little 15 minutes, 15 minutes, it, it changes things that people have been struggling with. Like sometimes we do more than 15 minutes, but sometimes it's, yeah, it's actually literally not more than that. It's so it's very, taking them back into the memory put, put, and then imagining a different scene where they yeah. gaze their imagination yeah. and, uh, and have a different story play. Yeah. But it's very important that it's in present tense that it's not just imagining it with the mind, it's also connecting to the body emotions and the feelings. You gotta explore the sensations in the body. And then you got like, and beforehand, if, if there are any coaches listening on here and they feel like, oh, I'm gonna try that, you should get some proper training on it. And you're gonna make sure that people are grounded and safe before you start. It's, it's, it's number one, and don't even go there if people are not safe and grounded first. Yeah. It's very yeah. important. And then nothing can go wrong. But you gotta you gotta make sure that you go through the whole all the right steps to keep people safe and then nothing can go wrong. Yeah. Got it. But they gotta be like in whatever makes them feel safe. Mm. I sometimes say um, if it's comfortable for you, picture that someone is standing behind you, someone who wants to take care of you, who's holding you or just putting their hands on your shoulders. So you, how does that feel? And that just that feeling of being held and cared for by someone and they, they will have a vivid image and feeling of that person. It could be someone alive or someone deceased or, but most people it will instantly them in a good place right right and do you find that that means that they 
they then release some grief around not having had that? No. No? No. Well, I think maybe once. That was kind of the main experience for that person. <laughs> but it was not. It's always positive. It was more like... It was more like... Uh, um, like feeling reconnected to the power of being cared for. Right. Yeah. In in my practice, I don't find that we have to go like deep into like the grief or the pain. Or it's enough just to go to the edge of that experience. Do you know Peter Levine? Peter Levine's work. Yeah, he's been on the podcast. Yeah. Okay. Wow. I'm in fancy company. Yeah. So I I'm very aligned with his way of thinking. You know, you don't have to dive into all of it. You don't have to relive your trauma. No, we don't need to do that. It's not necessary. We just got to release it. We don't need to relive it. We want to release yeah. it. That's I love his work. He, he, he has really contributed to humanity with that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's fascinating and it is a challenge to me because all of my healing work has been by reliving it and has been engaging in the grief. Okay, and when tell I me about tried to kind of scrape, you know, the sort of as exactly as Peter Levine said, and I challenged him, you know, I made this point on the podcast is that when I've tried to kind of graze it, um, I didn't have the same impact. Um, maybe I was doing it, you know, maybe the way I was doing it wasn't the way that he, uh, who knows, but I, I just, just to be true to my experience, it, I, it hasn't, I have needed to get into the, into the, into the grief. Do you want to tell me what? Do you want to tell me how you would do? Well, well, more that I, I would get to the memory and then I would, re I would relive it, right? I'm doing exactly what you suggest you don't do with mm -hmm. your clients. But that's um, mm -hmm. not, I, but I don't want to get into like a debate over it. I'm not suggesting that what you're doing isn't, you know, isn't. No, no, I know. I'm just is, curious. But... I'm just curious. Maybe I could learn something. It's interesting to hear another perspective. Yeah. no, Because you I... have a different experience. Yeah, I have a different experience. Is yeah. that I needed to share it. Well, ju just simply that 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 I needed to go to that next level. I needed uh -huh. to get right into it. I needed to, um, yeah, I, I needed to fully surrender to the grief, yeah, and the tears and and all of the sensations and feelings, and it yeah. is in full technicolor, and, yeah. and relive that experience, multi, you know, hundreds of times probably over the course of my self work. You know, single experiences I've relived that many times in order to fully, fully release and fully empty the, yeah. uh, you know, the pain bucket, if you like. And, yeah. and so that has been, as I just you know, mentioned, that that has been getting into the pain. So, you know, it's curious to me to think, could there have been a, an easier way for me or a softer way for me? Uh, but yeah, certainly when I experienced those kind of lighter explosives, ex mm -hmm. Lighter approaches earlier on in my work, it, it wasn't mm -hmm. seeming to have the impact. But maybe there are various ways for various people. Sure. And maybe what you're doing is absolutely right for you and the people you work with. And maybe this way is good for me and the people I work with. And, you know, maybe I could also learn something from doing more of what you do and the other way around. You know, it's, it's interesting to hear about the other ways. What did Peter Levine say to you? Because I never spoke to him. I just you know, read yeah. well, he, I mean, his, his mode of trauma release is very much as you describe it. It's this yeah. idea that we, we touch into it. Mm -hmm. We get enough of the story to make sense of what happened to us. Mm -hmm. and, and, and simply in doing that, we can find resolution. Mm -hmm. um, there, isn't, there isn't a need, as, exactly as you describe. I mean, how you've described it is exactly, exactly as I understood his message. Mm -hmm. We don't need to fully engage with the pain and fully relive the experience that's not necessary yeah. and there are other there are other healers i've had on who've who've got a similar message um but maybe yeah. there's some people who needs to do it and they need to work with you you know could be well yeah way. well it, and and i'm the same i don't always need to work with clients on trauma release it's not like it, it's it's something i do all of the time in any case as you say sometimes it's enough to just to do, give people a new a new app you don't have to go deep into <laughs> yeah. the operating, operating yeah. system. 
Yeah, and some people yeah. don't want to go deep, and then we don't go deep. Mm. You know, I, exactly. I think it's very important as coaches that we engage with people where they are. It's not about yeah. who we are or where we are. It's all about them. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. So, but I'm also curious. Uh, I'm also curious, Josephine. When what what was your experience of trauma release, and what was the benefit to you? So. And if you don't mind sharing, like what, what, what it is you were able to resolve and then how that benefited you. Oh my God. I, the first time I was completely other human being afterwards. It, it just, you know, I looked myself in the mirror just after the session and there was like, there was a different light. There was a different kind of clarity. It was like a, a some carpet being taken away from, from my vision. And I didn't uh, experience any like traditionally like big traumas. It's just, you know, things that been feelings you had throughout life. And, um, you know, my, my parents are loving and had like a, quite good upbringing and but you still have moments in life where you have certain feelings towards like where you feel in that moment my mother was not there for me but you know you're kids yeah. there could be like yeah. little moments where you feel abandoned though you mm. have a mother who loves you very much and uh, they're like stuff like that oh yeah and then one thing i i um well, well that was actually not part of it was not part of that uh, session was it we work so much on ourselves right so it kind of sometimes i forget when what no that came up later i had another yeah so it was all these yeah it was the first time it was mainly all these little moments you know your little kid there's a moment where you feel abandoned stuff like that right so these moments of abandonment in your childhood and you and you were able to release those yeah. And then you said it and, and so tell me about that shift then. You said it was like a carpet removed from your vision. Yeah, you know, like Yeah, I just remember going to the bathroom afterwards and looking myself looking myself in the eyes in the mirror and just seeing another light in my eyes. More clarity. So I released something that was creating clutter in my system right and it also made me a better coach we need to right. be yeah. quite clear right we need to be have flow to be there create flow for other people right hence the metaphor of the block pipes yeah that's how you relate also, to it yeah also yeah yeah and we kind of when we're coaching we're kind of a pipe right <laughs> that connects to the to the system of the client to to help that client create some flow and then when the session finishes then we detach that pipe right yeah that's a great way of thinking about coaching getting people into keeping people in flow or getting people back into flow yeah yeah i i often think about you know if if my coaches are just on their track like, it doesn't matter how fast they walk on that track or which track they're walking on, as long as they are on their right track. Yeah. Their track. Then, then we've done a good job, I think. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Getting people to walk in the right direction on the right track. And even if they take a few steps back on their track, it's okay, as long as they're on the track. And eventually we'll move forward. That's, that's, that's so powerful. You, we've got to give ourselves the, I mean, I've, if my own self-work and the coaches as well, you, we have to sometimes surrender and sometimes give ourselves permission to go backwards. Such an important point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah um, I promised myself not to have ambitions on behalf of my clients. Right. Yes. I'm not performing. I'm coaching. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That makes sense. Yeah, it makes sense. 
Great. Well, it feels like we've, you know, we've had a very rich discussion. I've really enjoyed it. Is there anything, I mean, there are obviously other other topics on the book I've got in front of me here, which we could dive into, but is there anything you feel like you wanted to share with regard to this idea of the power barometer and managing our energy that you've not, not shared so far? We've not touched. Well, I hope this talk has been inspiring to people so that they feel encouraged to start growing that awareness and, and, and trying the power parameter. And actually, we didn't talk about the power parameter itself, but on my website, on the freebies, there is a sound file with an exercise that people can access for free. And so they can try it and they can start use, they can use some of these tools for free if they want to, so they can start growing that awareness. That's my objective is for more people to have that awareness about their personal energy, their own, and how it affects other people, how it affects the room when they're in a meeting or they're in a team. And especially if you're a leader or manager, you have a huge effect on other people. People are going to orient yeah. themselves after yourself. So it's very important that you have this awareness. And just like a handful of people will be listening to this podcast, start growing their awareness. I'll be very, very happy. It will all be worthwhile. Great. Mm. Yes. Yes. Okay, Josephine. Well, thank you. This has been fantastic. Um, yeah, I'm sure it will inspire, inspire many people out there uh, to, to check in with themselves, build their body awareness. What a great message. All right. Um, so we'll, we'll give people links. Um, obviously, there's, there's the book. So it's not released yet, am I right? The Power Barometer book? or is well, November 9th, 2023. Okay. So we're, we're yeah. live now on the 2nd of November. So it's seven days time. But uh, it's actually already available on Amazon if you want to sneak peek. I check. It's, it's, it's active now. You can actually order it now. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. But the, the official publishing date is November 9th. The, the publishers will always make sure that the books are available before the the launch because you know you don't want anything to go wrong so it's actually already uh, then if you okay right so if you're yeah. listening to this live it sounds like you can go get the book now yeah yeah, uh, yeah, yeah. you Campbell can get it Amazon. anywhere where you get your books yeah and then for those who are listening to the recorded version of this uh it probably will also be available well it will be available right because yeah uh, we'll be able to give people the link um so we'll give people a link to the book um it's josephinecampbell.com is that right Yes, correct. And Josephine uh, yeah. is spelled with an F. Yes. Yeah, because I'm part Danish. So it's spelled the Danish way. <laughs> okay. Josephine with an F uh, mm -hmm. dot com. JosephineCampbell.com with an mm -hmm. F. Uh, um, anywhere else you would send them? Or is that? Um, well, I'm very active on LinkedIn. Okay. So I, I post quite often on LinkedIn. I also have, I have a newsletter on LinkedIn, but also on my website, where people are welcome to join with free inspiration and leadership. Um, yeah, that's basically it, I think. Brilliant. Okay. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you so much. Uh, You're welcome. Thank you. Yeah, it's been, it's been really nice talking to you. We could go on talking, I feel. Yeah, I'm sure we could. This has been great. Thank you, mm -hmm. Josephine. Thank you. Thank you, Richard. The Being Human podcast was brought to you by First Human. For more on First Human's human-focused coaching and leadership programs, head to firsthuman.com.